Hi there, this is a small uh, video about animist cosmology or worldview. Um, it's about uh, how animist cosmology is expressed in the image of Yggdrasil, the world tree. Uh, my name is uh, Runiane Rasmussen, I'm a historian of religion, and you can uh, patron support my work with renewing uh, our perception of Nordic religion with cutting-edge anthropology. Um, in this video, I'll show you uh, some uh, overlooked, I think, images of the world tree that come from Swedish runestones, and I'll try to compare this expression of animist cosmology with some of those specific ways that cosmology is imagined today, um, how it's imagined among scholars of Nordic history religions, but also among contemporary heathens and pagans who interestingly, interestingly follow similar paths in this case, and uh, heathens and, and scholars, that is. However, uh, cosmology is, is an issue where I think that new animist theory can very substantially contribute to the the general understanding of pre-Christian Nordic religion uh, because cosmology is a very characteristic aspect of uh, animist worldviews or how, how animist reality works and recent scholarship has suggested that animist cosmology differs in very specific ways from Christian and modern cosmology which uh, in turn share uh, specific characteristics and these features of Christian and modern cosmology are, for instance, that reality is held together from the outside by strict borders. And the most important border or line of distinction that goes between the divine sphere and the human sphere. Religious agents such as gods and so on, they, they are outside human reach. They exist in a space of belief. Uh, and this kind of cosmology is typically systemically coherent. It's, it's well-ordered and internally consistent. And the uh, Christian modern paradigm for cosmology is sometimes called a discontinuous cosmology because of this being distinct from the human sphere. That's something that people think about and conceptually believe in. And that's why it's also conceptually really well-structured and, yes, systemic. Uh, it is what we sometimes call a belief system. Um, whereas, if you look at the kind of cosmology that you find inside Mongolian shamanism or Brazilian Orisha cult, what I would call an animist cosmology, um, then I would argue that this kind of cosmology that you also find in, in pre-Christian religion of, of Northern Europe, uh, uh, that if you look at those, then you find a reality which is not held together by border from the outside, but by relating from the inside, often ritual relating. The divine sphere is not distinct from human life, but entangled in human life. And this entanglement happens not through belief, but through practice, it's ritual. And it, it's, it's also characterized by being non-systemic. Conceptually, it can be rather disorganized. Um, animist cosmology is not, uh, as the anthropologist uh, Morten Axel Pilsen observes, a bonsai mini-version of reality. It's, it's relational, it's a transformational principle of social relating that runs through reality. And as such, it's very syncretic, because belief isn't particularly important, so it doesn't have to be particularly well-structured. Uh, the notion of the religion as this coherent systemic unit is a very distinctly modern idea. 
and what we call religions uh, are really in animist perception more like tool reservoirs of tools to to build relation uh, like if you think of uh, Saint George if you think that Saint George works as an image of the West African war god Ogun then you can include and use Saint George or the image of Saint George to to manifest uh, Ogun and uh, so religions and, and cultures aren't these functionalist systemic machine like things or complexes of meaning where everything fits an exact function and in relation to everything else um, but this modern idea is precisely what many uh, project I think on a- ancient cosmology um, where uh, understanding something is putting it into system and you see this tendency of course in scholarship uh, and all, of course it's almost all, almost impossible to escape you know I, I probably also do it myself um, uh, but it's also curious that a significant uh, voices among the people trying to re-engage Nordic religion in contemporary form, the uh, the Asatu or heathendom complex, certainly not all of them, but some of them, they very explicitly and assertively claim the worldview that are, or the kind of worldview that's really rather typical of the, the Christian slash modern type of cosmology. Uh, for instance, they focus very strongly on distinction making they make an inside-outside logic uh, as into a foundational cosmic principle. This Utengard, uh, Inengard idea that was also recently criticized by Jackson Crawford. Uh, and I very much agree. Uh, some dude wrote a book about that at some point. And I think this perspective on pre-Christian religion is pretty much as close as you can get to the opposite of reality. This is a kind of religion uh, which is is focused um, almost about on the opposite of distinction making. Uh, distinction make, make, making is there, of course, you find that in all religion, but 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 it's not. I, I wouldn't say it's the focus. Rather, uh, I'll say that the focus is on mediation, transgression, and transformation. Um, and and like in the, in the in in the modern Christian cosmology, you also find in contemporary. Also true, I think, a focus on the systemic nature, a belief system that can be compromised by syncretism. You know, if something is seen as even potentially influenced by Christianity, that can be disqualified. Uh, and there are even pejorities like wicked true or systemic distortions, foreignisms, this idea that the, the, um, the religion is not empowered by relating with something else in the, in the way that the West African Ogun is empowered by being related through St. George, uh, but that is compromised by it. that. That's the systemic uh, nature of this typically modern or Christian Christian modern uh, cosmology. Um, yeah, I made another video about how this, uh, exactly that kind of syncretizing logic, logic is in fact rather evidently visible in medieval Scandinavian uh, religiosity. Well, the most iconic symbol uh, of cosmos in the Nordic pre-Christian religion is, of course, the world tree. Uh, and many use the image of the world tree in exactly this bonsai mer- version, a mini-map of reality, uh, where are th- there are these different worlds and they're inhabited by different classes of beings and it's imagined, imagined as this very well-structured system. But if you read the sources, you find that one quite salient uh, feature of Nordic cosmologies 
that is very non-systemic. It's almost the opposite. You, if you sit down and want to map out what where is, then you're likely to be rather confused. And many of the Eddic poems, they refer to parts of reality, but they aren't particularly consistent between each other. Uh, but people are trying to create these images of cosmology as if, as, as if it were, was possible to map it in the first place. And uh, here's an example. I think it's from a classic work on Nord- Nordic myth. This is an Uh, a scho- this is a scholarly uh, example, but you can also find, if you go on the internet, heaps of these Kabbalah-inspired heathen Asatru portrayals of model, bonsai models of Yggdrasil. And see how this is a, this is very much an, an ex- external viewer that uh, is conceptually imagining a structured idea here. It's, it's detached from the human sphere somehow. It's our thinking of an idea of, or a perception. Um, And, and I want to contrast this idea of the Yggdrasil with a, with a, a pre-Christian image of the Yggdrasil. And this is, this is one that I really love. It's the image of the tree image on the Swedish Okilbo stone. And uh, notice how the tree is imagined in between a lot of animals and human cultural activities. There's a serpent at the bottom and there's the bird at the top, symbols of shamanic transformation. Um, And uh, I made a drawing of the tree here to sort of emphasize these two particular human figure figures. And I might do something with this drawing at some point, perhaps make it available. Uh, but to me, this is uh, the most beautiful and, and quintessential idea of Yggdrasil as an animist principle. It's very distinctly not a mini bonsai map of uh, reality distinct from humans. It's the principle of the world tree as relation with humans and other beings, by the way, uh, the relating is the point. These two figures, human figures, they each hold um, an object. One is approaching the tree with a horn. It looks like he may be pouring a libation to the tree. Uh, This is a very common practice in in tree worship throughout the history of Nordic animism, where there's always been these sacred trees close to farmsteads and so on. Uh, the ancient temple in Uppsala uh, was said to have a, such a sacred tree placed uh, close to it. The other uh, human figure is uh, holding uh, a ring in one hand and, and the tree in the other. Um, the ring is an ancient symbol of oath swearing and bonding. The, the ring is a, the bond, like a covenant-like symbol. And uh, there's been rings in temples and collection of rings have been found in archaeological sites of temples and they probably represent uh, oath swearing uh, to specific gods having taken place in these temples. Uh, Probably the most uh, spectacular example of this is the uh, famous Tisu ring Um, and And uh, yes, the, the, the human figure is holding such a ring uh, and holding the tree with the other hand, as it, almost as if he's swearing himself perhaps into relation with the tree or perhaps he's using the ring as a symbol of bonding to invoke the power of the tree towards something else. It's impossible to know exactly what's going on. But uh, the point is that both these human figures are ritually engaging the tree. The tree is not an image of something that's external from human life, world, and practice. Uh, Its nature is expressed through its relating, uh, its relation with the human sphere, sphere, right? 
these people are practicing their ritual bonding, relating with the tree. And if we like switch back to the, the scholarly modern image, uh, where a contemporary person is trying to imagine herself into the mind of a prehistoric person and imagine what they may have been imagining or reflect on their reflection or think about what they perhaps were thinking about a millennia ago, then, I mean, to me at least, this seems really speculative in a very barren sort of irrelevant kind of way almost. Whereas if you look at the the Ockelbo stone with an animist, uh, from an animist perspective, you see the lived ritual reality, the principle of relatedness that is the world tree. It's not a system that sort of lends itself neat, neatly to taxonomies of classes of beings and mappings of the world or, or how people look inside their heads or how their worlds look inside their heads. It's much more concrete somehow, much more in the, in the practice. And it is the principle of ritual building and maintaining the world as an organic community of relation that humans can build through their ritual practices of sharing and bonding and so forth. And to me, this image illustrates the Nordic view of animism as, as defined by Graham Harvey as respecting the living world. And, but of course, also this engagement of ritual expect, uh, respect is not just like flower power, uh, because if you look at the, uh, the image, you find that the tree uh, simultaneously binds or holds or grows out of what? The dragon, the threat in fact, to human uh, social space. You know, observe how it's not distinct, not separated from human social life, this, uh, this threat, the chaos. It isn't in opposition. These are bound together, depending on each other. And when we read the myths, uh, then this balance uh, to, with the destructive side of the world is, appears as problematic or difficult. It's not just... It's not just harmony. Um, for instance, the, the story of the binding of the fin, Finwish wolf is a deeply problematic story about deceit and violence and controlling something that doesn't want to be controlled and, and which will eventually run loose and destroy the harmonious world. You know? And uh, the, the Swedish runestones, they, they kept this matrix into the era that became dominated by Christianity, where the tree became increasingly the cross and, and these crosses with their entanglement with the demonic, they, uh, they're standing on, they're almost growing out of the demonic, you know, they, while also binding or controlling the demonic. Um, it it, it, it seems, sometimes it almost seems that like this binding is a kind of machinery that produces the harmonious world through this, this axis mundi. By the way, this is uh, just a piece of modern art that I think has a bit of an axis mundi quality to it. Um, it's called the Love Island here in, in uh, Copenhagen. I think it's quite impressive. Um, so, well, in my view, these, these uh, crosses, uh, they, they uh, maintain some of the heathen animist cosmology that we see in the Ockelbo stone where the harmonious world exists uh, not in opposition with dangerous forces, but in some sort of dependency or uh, negotiation, however problematic on the uh, other destructive side of life. And this machine-like binding of chaotic forces as the root of fortune and harmony recalls a myth of, of King Frothy on Sealand who had a magic millstone that was run by... Um, 
Tuyotunor troll giant women uh, called Fenya and Menya, and that produced this magic millstone. When they grind it, it produced all the fortune of Frothi's kingdom. And, and like the dragon on these uh, Swedish runestone, the, or the wolf in Snorri's narrative, the, narrative these, these uh, giant forces are bound, they are enslaved somehow, but they also give the blessing and also the destruction to King Frodo's realm. So when he, uh, when he presses them too hard and forget that they are the source of his fortune, then they turn on him and invoke destruction on his, his kingdom. Um, and it's a different story about this problematic bond that maintained the harmonious world. And uh, these, are, these are stories about animist cosmology as relation, as a problematic negotiated relation, as an organic relation, as a lived relating between humanity and the world that we live in. And that relate, relating can also break down. And when that happens, the result is the Ragnarok, where the tree burns. The animist principle of relatedness breaks down. Uh, the cataclysm that ensues when animist relating between humanity and the re rest of the world breaks down, that is imaged in the burning of the tree. You know? And uh, when I'm recording this, uh, you know, until two weeks ago, there were still koala bears in uh, this world. And uh, the, the tree is burning. And, and the burning of the tree is also our loss of relation with the living world that allows our complacency with uh, what an Australian scholar recently diagnosed as an ongoing omnicide, the murderous attack on all life by human civilization. And so the burning of the tree is also our letting this continue without fierce resistance. But, uh, and I made another video about the Völuspar, the Ragnarok um, myth from an eco-animist perspective. But yes, this is just a little bit about the uh, animist cosmology. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, see you around.